0: Hello, everybody, Tracy, Mrs. J-Dog Flanagan with you here today. I'm the co-founder and senior vice president here at J-Dog Brands. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Tactical Treasures Podcast, powered by J-Dog and TV. Our podcast gives veterans, male spouses, active military members, and military family members a voice in the veteran space to speak about their service how they're affecting their communities post-service, and they share with me a tactical treasure from their past that has shaped their journey and their military career, business, or life. Today, I'm very excited to have on the podcast, Kevin Hyde, who is a Marine Corps veteran, and in his 21 years of service to the Marine Corps intelligence community and U.S. Cyber Command, Kevin was responsible for creating and deploying cyber maturity models and training pipelines for small allied nations. During the first seven years of his service in the Marine Corps, Kevin served as a spokesman for the Marine Corps, and he has served on the Executive Board of Folds of Honor, as well as the Veterans Business Referral Network. Now, Kevin is the president and co-founder of Layer 8 Security, based in the Philadelphia area, where he leverages his experience. Expertise in establishing cybersecurity operations and programs for private industry and the intelligence community. Hello, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining me today on Tactical Treasures podcast. I'm excited to speak to you, sir. Thank you for your service, by the way. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me and thanks for doing that mouthful of a bio. I just (laughs) apologize for that.
0: No worries. No worries. I got through it though. Oh my goodness. So, um, can you talk to us about your military career? Uh, What did initially led and inspire you to join the Marine Corps?
1: Well, um, initially I was, uh, so I was 14 years old. I was on a camping trip with my dad from Virginia. We went up to Gettysburg and did a camping trip for the weekend and just hearing the stories of, you know, the bravery, the the selfless devotion to each other. And then also, um, you know, I grew up in South Carolina and Charleston, which is a lot of, you know, Civil War and Revolutionary Era history, and then Virginia, yeah, same yeah. thing. And so, I've been around military, but like, I mm-hmm. don't come from a military background. My family's not really military, right? But they're very patriotic. And mm-hmm. so, when you know, I was just finding myself being called to service, and I just had that kind of yearn yearn for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you know, when I when I got to um, to that point in life when I was, you know, a teenager and trying to figure out where I want to go in the world. It, the Marine Corps seemed like a good thing. So I asked my dad, I think I want to go in the service. And he goes, well, what do you think you want to do? And I said, well, I'd want to be, you know, in the, the more elite services. And he goes, well, that, that's the Marines, right? I mean, you know, the all the four services, you know, all the branches have their own groups, but like the Marines as a service is really tough to get into. And I said, well, then that's what I want to do. And then he goes, well, what do you think you'd want to do in the Marines? I said, well, you know, what do you think the hardest job is to be? He goes, well, being a Marine and then being a leader of Marines would be one thing. So being an officer would be really tough. I said, well, then that's what I want to do. (laughs) So I was 14. And of course, my dad and my mom were both like, okay, good boy. Like, that sounds nice. You know, I'm sure that'll work out just fine. And they supported me here and there when I, you know, would talk about it and ask about it. And then finally, I, I really wasn't letting up. And I started applying to schools through the ROTC programs. I applied to the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started getting into all these schools and they realized, okay, he's definitely serious about this. So <laughs> they, they were always supportive, you know, um, you know, and I, I fairly well-rounded life as a teenager with high school and track and, you know, Boy Scouts and different things like that. So it was always like up my alley and right. yeah, you know, just through the support of my family and friends, um, yeah. made it work. So I went through college the whole time with the intention of being an officer in the Marines and, and right. got there.
0: Yeah, that's great. Gettysburg is a beautiful place, too. I, I, I've been there to see that. It's very, very inspiring. Um, Can be, yep. So is there a particular moment while you were a spokesman for the Marine Corps um, that stands out to you as being impactful? And I'm not sure that when you, when, so when you served as a spokesman, what exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because it's not always, like, it doesn't always make sense right off the bat. Um, Just because somebody's in front of a camera giving an interview about something doesn't mean they're necessarily a spokesman. Um, There's always about 80 or 90 spokesmen in the Marine Corps at any given time, so not many. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Marine Corps is small, too, right? So we have 200,000 Marines, so we're a small portion of that. Um, And so what it means is you have to be able to go on site to, whether it's, an accident could be a wartime scenario, peacetime scenario. It could be just be some conflagrations happened, uh, something, you know, of a, of a kinetic nature, whatever it might be. You have to be able to go up in the front and talk to the community, talk to the media, talk to potentially politicians, policymakers, and be able to tell the story of what's happening. And okay. you know, here's what happened. But you have a team around you it's only part of the job. So every public affairs officer isn't necessarily a spokesperson, um, I was. And so it meant, you know, you you go out there and you tell the story, but you know, I went in in 99. Okay, so, right. you know, I was a second lieutenant in 1999, nine. Nine eleven happened, and then four months later, I was deployed to Camp X-Ray in Guantanamo Bay, January of 2002. Wow. So my life changed very quickly. Sure. Um, And, you know, a lot of my friends who were aviators, infantry officers, MPs, whatever my artillery, they were in these training cycles, whereas I was all of a sudden individually posted out somewhere by myself, knew nobody, didn't really have a clue really honestly of who I was around or what operations were happening. I was just told to go do this one thing. And so that was a hard part of the job was Mm -hmm. you get deployed out there as an individual to go be a part of a big team, but you're not really part of that team until you've been there for a while. Um, and so we had first sent special operations troops into Afghanistan in October, late October of 01, and about six weeks after 9-11. And then we started bringing all the detainees, but, but they had to go somewhere. So, um, you know, they put them in Camp X Ray in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. It was right. a migrant camp from you know to basically house refugees in the sort of immigrant circle, if you will. And you know, my job was simply you know help tell the story of what we're doing, why what we're doing to help them, what we're doing to care for them, medicine, et cetera. You know, giving them Korans, giving them clothing, you know, medicine, whatever it might have been. That was hair raising because suddenly I wasn't on the front lines of you know, of a combat situation. But I was face to face with the Taliban. I was face to face with enemy combatants, you know, and they were right across from me and I'm talking to them in different languages and, you know, introducing them to media to say, hey, you're, you're welcome to tell your story, right? We're not hiding anything. So it right. was definitely an enlightening time because it sure. was, you know, nothing. We'd never been in a scenario before. <laughs> you yeah. Know, the U.S. in general. So being on the very tip of the spear for that was a hugely impactful moment.
0: Sure. Sure. Sounds like it. Wow. Um, So I understand your first transition out of active duty service was a difficult one. Um, Could you just talk to us through your transition experience?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Transition is tough, right? So I did seven years of active duty time. And um, while I was finishing my active duty time, I had gotten my master's degree um, at the guidance of one of my senior officers told me to, you know, get that. So I, I went ahead and got a master's degree and I was going down and pursuing a career in strategic communications, you know, which was sort of tied to public affairs, strategic you know operations, and basically working with large organizations to help them tell their story. So I got affiliated with a small local a lo- small firm out of Virginia that had subcontractors to these military, and uh Department of Defense and Government contracts, and I was doing this work um what I was supposed to be doing, and I, they were happy with my performance, but it was not fulfilling and I had just yeah. been in these one conflagration after another after another, leading Marines and other service members, you know contributing to what seemed like a bottom line like I understood the impact I was having, and I could draw the line as to here's where we're trying to go as a country here's what we're doing in the Marine Corps. Here's what my unit's doing. Here's what I'm doing. Like it was clear. It didn't right. feel very clear. Yeah. <laughs> I felt uninspired. Right. I felt um unsure, frankly, about myself. You know, I like. Well, maybe this isn't what I should be doing. And then you know, there was some leadership issues. And you know, frankly, we're used to operating with more of a code of ethics in the Marines. And I found quickly in the civilian world, they don't do that as much. Not. Yeah. Not. And I'm generalizing, but but some companies just don't operate like that. And I found that was tough. And then I went to an internet company where I was the PR and marketing director. And again, th- they didn't have a clear direction. They didn't have a big idea of, well, we just wanted you to do these things. And when I would get them done and, and more quickly that they would anticipate me completing a task, I'd say, well, but how, how does this fulfill on our, on our big strategy? Like how, how are we moving the ball forward here? And they just they didn't even really have an answer. Right. And so I started to think, well, maybe I should go be a volunteer firefighter or do something just to make sure I'm <laughs> right. still giving of sure. myself of my time that I feel value, you know, valued right. by my leadership, but also as, a, as an individual, make sure I feel like I'm contributing to something. Right. And so when my wife and I were talking about it, um, you know, she said, well, look, maybe you should be exploring being in the reserves. I had only been active duty. I didn't explore the reserves because right. I was trying to launch a civilian career. But it was really tough to to assimilate myself to you know these random like if in this one job in this internet company if I did my job right I would find other companies that we could sell a service to where their search results would get found a little bit faster than others it wasn't very inspiring you know that just doesn't do it for me right. so I really needed something else to to feel like I, I had a you know and, and then I got into a consulting company. So I went from one job, one year, one job to the next one job to, and that's not really the kind of career I wanted to have either. I don't want to be job hopping. Right. Sure. Um, but I got into this consulting company where I, st- I stayed for a little over two years. And that was a, a better fit in some cases and worse in others. Um, you know, it was, you had to sort of be at square one and here I was 30 years old with a master's degree and seven years of Marine Corps experience under me in a wartime scenario. And, and here they want me to be like getting coffee for these consultants. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't object to coffee, but I'm not, this can't be where I'm at here. Right. And so they, they weren't very truthful in the job description. They said, well, this was a part of it. You understood this was part of the consulting gig. And I was like, oh, okay. But you know, I'm not a junior right out of college intern. Like I've been sure. a professional for eight years now. Like I expect to be treated like one. Right. And so that was tough too. And again, finding yourself in a scenario and learning how to understand what a company does and then understand what your role is going to be and what your leadership looks like and asking smarter questions. So, you know, sure. really what you're doing. Yeah. So I found myself ping-ponging a bit and um, yeah, so that, that was a tough, tough time it was was like two and a half three years of like one job after another not really finding your way
0: I I, yeah I I hear that a lot um you know civilian companies are do not function like the military (laughs) and a lot and especially in someone in your type of role of leadership and with your background I'm sure it's it's difficult to find that fit um and code of ethics, yeah, I've heard that too. It's a it's a big thing in in some corporate companies. Yeah. Um, just real cutthroat, and and uh, yeah. Hello, viewers and listeners. I would like to introduce you to the J Dog Foundation which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the prevention of veteran suicide and the healing of veterans' mental health. 100% of all proceeds received by the J-Dog Foundation goes directly to several foundations focused on the mission of saving veterans' lives. Each partner is hand-selected by our Executive Director, Jerry Flanagan, with input from the Assistant Director, Tracy Flanagan, and the J-Dog Foundation board members. Our foundation's motto? Saving lives, one veteran at a time. Go to jdogfoundation.org to take a look at everything that we're doing there and the organizations that we're partnered with. You can also donate, and there's also a support line if you're in need of help. Thanks. Check us out, jdogfoundation.org. You also are a Marine for Life coordinator in Philly. Um, could you talk to us about this work and what is Marine for Life? I know I've heard that before, but I'm not exactly sure that I understand what that is all about.
1: Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's important. It's a really big tool that people can use. Um, so they're, they're, the Marine Corps has it. It's called the Marine for Life. The Army has it. It's called Army for Life. Okay. Um, Think of the full life cycle of a service member, right? They go through the recruitment phase, basic training, advanced training. They go to their job, they do their job. And then at some point, whether it's after four years or 30 years, they're told your time is up, right? You don't know who's the one that's going to be, but you know your time is up. Well, we've planned we've planned, we've prepped, we've given them a process to be in that role as a service member, but we never really taught service members what it means to take that outside into the civilian sector. How do you apply it into the right jobs? How do you get the right degrees or the certification programs or whatever might be that fulfills you, that moves you along, or just helps you find, you know, a good group of other service members to hang out who can commiserate, you know, and just simply that. So the the Marine and Army for Life programs, they help like they have people like me positioned in large metropolitan areas that when they bring in service members that are going to be transitioning off active duty, we help them get a softer landing, you know, introduce them to the right. Well, I want to get, you know, I've been working making my way towards an accounting degree. Great. Here's a couple of companies I know with some internships you might be able to get to learn more about that field as you're progressing through your degree. So you get a job as soon as you're done your degree, right? That that's a great example of how you can help somebody. Okay. It it could also be that they've, They just need sort of a peer group to, you know, help them with the interview process, the resume process, you know, the the VA and Department of Labor. And they have a lot of programs that you when in your transition programs, when you're still on active duty, Mm -hmm. um, um, how to help you with that. There's also a couple others that are DOD sponsored, um, these bridge programs to take you from active duty to your civilian career Um, sometimes they don't work out for people and they just are on their own doing it. And because I had a tough transition, I knew what it meant to write your resume the right way, interview the right way, ask the right questions, be as inquisitive of them as they are of you. So those things all helped me. um, And I had to learn on my own way because these programs didn't really exist when I was getting out. And I was just fortunate that as a reservist, and it's in a reserve position, so it was a reserve job. So I'm fortunate that I was able to do it as a reservist. Now I did it from 2016 to 2020. Um, okay. and then I and then I went to another command for two years and then I retired just eight months ago, nine months ago. So oh, wow. Um, um, but so I but the thing is once you've done that job, you have a network of people. So sure. I still do it. <laughs> you know, I'm not getting paid as a reservist anymore, but it's just right. what you do when you're a service member now, you know, and I've had successes and I'm working, you know, started a company. I have a huge network now. So it's my job to share that and enrich the sure. other service members. And you it's called Marine for Life. It's called Army <laughs> for Life. But in any city, anywhere you come across a representative like me, you do it for any veteran transitioning off active duty. Because it's not different. It's just sure. You know. Yeah. It's all it's all ice cream, it's chocolate vanilla. It's, you know, mint <laughs> and strawberry. And you need to just sort of help out whatever service member needs it. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, so now you're the co-founder and president of Layer 8 Security. Um, talk to us a little bit about the founding of Layer 8 and the work you do there.
1: Uh, so when I got back into the reserves, so in 2010 and early 2011, I got my commission back and got back into the reserves. I couldn't be a public affairs officer anymore. Uh, and the reserve career field, you can't just do whatever job you were doing. Sometimes you have to transition. So right. my options were intelligence or logistics. So I went intelligence. I thought that'd be a cooler, sexier field. So that's what I went for. Sounds cool. So, <laughs> right? I know. And I even talked yeah. to a couple of Logos and Intel guys. And I even said to them, like, well, what do you think? And they're like, are, are you stupid? Intel. Like, even the Logos were like, go Intel. So I so I did Intel. And a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Lipson, was really um, influential in helping me get my commission reappointed and find a reserve unit. He'd been introduced to me when I first got off active duty from a local network contact. And so we'd always maintained a friendship and affiliations. When I wanted to get back in, he helps me through the process. Well, when I got back into the reserves, I got into an air unit, I became the chief mental officer there. And then as a reservist, and then went to an Intel school. When I finished that Intel school, I came out loaded down with top secret clearances and different you know, credentials. And so I said, well, what do you think I should do next? Now I'm looking for sort of my next way to use all this. And he said, I think you should come interview for a job at the NSA at Cyber Command. And I think you'd be a really good fit for it because he oh, had wow. taken a post there. So I went interviewed with this team where part of my job in that bio, excruciating bio you read earlier was, helping to set up maturity models and training pipelines for small foreign entities that just didn't exist. It was a functionality that just wasn't there. So they needed somebody who could come in and operate without an SOP and just create it, which I'm pretty good at. So I went through and did that. And then I was there at NSA at Cyber Command. They're co-located at Fort Meade. I was there from twenty uh, late 12 to late, 2014 active duty. And then I stayed on as a reservist for another year and a half uh, to, well, two, closer to two years anyway. So that prepared me for a lot of options and I was being pursued by Microsoft and Booz Allen and companies like that to be, you know, a consultant with those TS clearances and to do cool different things. But frankly, I didn't really want to go that route. And I didn't want to live in the DC metro area. I wanted to stay in Philadelphia. So Jeff and I were talking. He was in the same boat. He's you know, working his way out of active duty, and we we're going to both demobilize at the same time. So we said, "Well, I think we know enough to do our own thing." And what? What? You've he's got a lot of experience in the intelligence communications, the IT field, and the civilian side. He's been a CIO. I have experience on the sales, marketing, public affairs, branding side of things, and I've stood up different divisions of companies. And so I said, "Well, I think." we'd be able to make this work. And so we just found uh, a couple of clients and, and decided to create our, we, we built the plane as we fly it, as we flew it. I mean, yeah, there's no way sure. around it. Like we were just creating ad hoc as we got going. Yeah. Um, started off with a government contract with uh, as a subcontractor and then one, one or two of those. And then we had some friends locally that like, well, I got a couple of local cyber guys from the NSA and they might be able to help us with this. And they were financial companies, guys who were well-networked. So, you know, things grow organically, right? So we just right. sort of, okay, well, that person helped us out. And we'd always ask for client references. And it was just Jeff and I figuring it out. Just our own branding, our own hustle, you know. And it was, and then we added one or two teammates to help us out part-time. And then we'd make them full-time once we had a little bit of money. And yeah. we didn't pay ourselves much of anything. And, you know, we would just do whatever we could to bring people in. And we just grew it by hook or crook and just got, yeah. it, got it going.
0: Yeah, I hear you. That's how J-Dog was born. <laughs> just yeah. ad hoc, figuring it out as you go.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah.
0: So that's, uh, really, that's really great. Um, so Layer 8 Security has a scholarship program um, focused mm-hmm. on transitioning veterans, which totally makes sense. Um, could you talk to us about the program briefly? Yeah.
1: So Penn State, you know, we're we're our headquarters is in Malvern and Penn State Great Valley is five minutes down the road. Um, Jeff actually got his master's degree there. We have a bunch of Penn State graduates in the company. Um, and so when Jeff and, and his family have also come from a, a place of uh, setting up some endowments and scholarships within Penn State. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, frankly, the COVID years weren't bad to us. Cyber crime increased and there was sure. more call for our services. So, you know, we, we prospered through those times from a business standpoint, not that wow. it was a prosperous time, but, you know, we had a lot of business come in the door. So, you know, we were to hire a lot and we also could see that the training was still needed. There weren't a lot of people that still had the right cyber degrees to work in the field. So we right. said, well, we can do something about it. So we started this scholarship. This was Jeff's idea. He said, well... Why don't we create, you know, a scholarship and have them award it to a veteran who wants to get into cybersecurity? And that will be what, you know, what helps them get their start. So that's what we did. So we started up the scholarship and, you know, we've uh, been using it every year and trying to roll in whenever we can. you know, if we can help out those students with an internship, either at our company or somewhere else, you know, we do that. But we try to be an active participant in their Uh, foray into the cybersecurity field. So they have a a great first start.
0: Wow, that's really great. Um, Awesome. Hello, viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tactical Treasures podcast. We are currently speaking with Kevin Hyde, who is a Marine Corps veteran, having served 21 years in the Marine Corps, Intelligence Community, and U.S. Cyber Command, and he is the co founder of Layer Eight Security, which is a cybersecurity advisory consulting and technical services firm that arms businesses with practical compliance, risk management, and security program strategies. Layer Eight Security's staff has received extensive experience and training from operations serving in the National Security Agency, U.S. Cyber Command, DOD, special operations, defense, and private industries. They have served at home and abroad, and many of them still serve our country today in the military reserve. Layer 8 Security also established the Layer 8 Security Scholarship in Information Science, an annually funded scholarship that provides $2,500 a year for five years with preference given to United States military students, including veterans, active duty, reservists, and National Guard. To find out more, go to Layer 8, and that is the number 8, security.com, to see all the services they offer and to learn more about the scholarship program. Now back to the podcast. Let's dive into your tactical treasure. Um, what Mm. we'd like to share with us today
1: well when um, when I was having the prep call you know a a little bit ago and I and you know had to think out okay well what would I consider it I had one that I thought was um, there's a there's a lot I could pull from (laughs) right so you know I, I keep mementos you know your first pair of, you know, original boots, I still have those. Like, oh, wow. You know, I still have my original pair of camis that were my first Marine Corps name tags, because when you earn that title after the crucible, they give you your name tags, your EGA. So I have those things. Those are important to me. Sure. But, you know, the thing that I when I thought about it, when I'm most proud of um is honestly my marriage. Um And so my my wife has been with me since 1999. We met in 1999 I was not yet a second lieutenant. I was about to be commissioned in a couple months. And so she stayed with me uh, throughout my training pipeline. I went to the basic school, went to Pensacola. Then I went to Fort Meade. Then I went to Yuma, Arizona, where I got stationed for my first three-year tour. But we got stationed there in May of 2001. And in August of 2001, she'd moved to two different cities with me. And yet I hadn't even proposed to her yet. Oh my god! Um, but we just sort of knew, we just knew each other, you know, well, it didn't necessarily go unsaid, but, but we knew we were going to, we just knew from the instant I was 22, she was 21. We just knew we were going to be together. So my tactical treasure, um, when it's a pair of dog tags, when I was, um, in August of 2001, I went to my headquarters, uh, battalion squadron office. And I said, I need a pair of dog tags made. I said, certainly, sir. Fill out this form, and so I filled out the form and I gave it to the to the admin chief. And she looks at it. She goes, "I'm sorry, sir. What is this?" She didn't understand because the one dog tag I had made for my wife, but in her name and her stats with her new last name once she married me, but the other one said, "Will you marry me?" And so I made her a pair of dog tags, and she still has them, and they're you know they stay in her jewelry chest, and she wears them from time to time, and these are still the ones that uh, you know, so we I I love it. Was sitting in my living room one August night in Yuma in this hot, hot summer. And you know, we just finished dinner watching Jeopardy, where all romantic stories, you know, start, of course. And so (laughs) I um just I was being I was being so weird. And you know, so I you know, I I had these sitting in a drawer next to the couch where we usually were hanging out at night. And so I sat on the arm of the couch and she's like, why are you sitting in the arm? Of the t- you never sit there. It's weird. Go sit down. And I was like, no, I was just, <laughs> you know, leaning up. And said, just, just go sit. And she was like yelling at me because I wasn't, I was sitting weird on the couch. I was like, oh. you know, so I, I turned the TV off and I opened the drawer and I pulled these out. And so I said, Hey, I got you these. There's, Oh, that's cool. And she goes, well, but, but that's not my name. You know, it had her new, you know, her, her last name was Quimby and I, mine is Hyde. So, was like, but that's not my name and she saw this and I was kind of like look at the second one <laughs> so, <laughs> so she looks at the second one and she you know of course breaks down into tears of course I'm married of course you know and so you know that was it so but these have been you know probably if I had to run into my house and grab something you know it's on fire this would probably be one of the two or three things I would want to grab wow um, but they you know the the marriage military marriage is very 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 tough it um, is she's endured it gracefully and with a lot of strength and and uh you know been really great um life partner financial partner co-parent i mean all of it you know and and she's kicking ass in her career and you know she supports me and mine and vice versa so you know i'm i'm fortunate to have her and my life and, and my life partner. And so, you know, this is probably one of the things I I treasure the most.
0: Wow. Well, that is so special. What an amazing treasure. And she sounds like an amazing lady. Um, I've, I have spoken to, um, a lot, a couple, you know, I've had several male spouses on, on my tactical treasure podcast mm. and the stories that they tell and, um, I just, my hats are off to them because they are, they are like rock stars. They are just, you know, the whole backbone of the family and holding it all together and doing so many things and, you know, managing, you know, even their mental health, you know, as their husband's deployed or whatever. It's it's just, or spouse, I should say, because there are, there are male hmm. uh, spouses. Um, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot that they that they go through and and uh, try to make sense of life and hold it all together. And uh, so, uh, yeah, they're just they're all amazing women. Women. And I I just love that, uh, you know, you guys have been together for such a long time and that she has stood by you. That is just amazing. How special.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for saying so. And You know, military spouses, I can tell you even to go back one when we talked about the Marine for Life program. Um, The other thing, and the Army does it too, where, you know, the service member might actually already have kind of a line on what they're doing. But they might call us up and say, but could could you help my, you know, my wife or spouse out in this scenario? Absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, they're military spouses are two for one right (laughs) right. you're not really you know uh it's not there's no separation there right it's sure you know when you do for one you do for the other i mean it's a team right yeah so it's a tight team and it operates like that and yeah you know it's like the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack right it's the same thing definitely you know so so you make each other stronger and support each other for her and i it's been 24 years um It's amazing. So yeah, we've been together 24 years this month actually, and we've been married for 21. So. Happy
0: anniversary! <laughs>
1: yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah.
0: That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. I I have had the privilege of uh, working with the Amplify program through Hiring Our Heroes. Um, mm, nice. They used Good. to have a they used to have a mentor mentee. Um, Kind of session, it was an hour session, and all the mentors were volunteer and i I was one of the mentors and you know I've had the amazing pleasure of meeting some incredible male spouses who have sacrificed and put their career on hold and um, are now trying to figure out you know their next steps as mm-hmm. you know they're able to finally or you know they're in a situation where you know their spouse is you know getting ready to retire and and so yeah they they need help as well because they do sacrifice and um and they serve as well right alongside of of their spouse so it's right. uh it's important and I'm glad that that you provide that for them through the Marine for Life or Army for Life, that's really great that, that you do that. Um, yep. So before before you go, um, I, I would love to hear what advice you would have for you know your fellow veterans who are struggling post service because you you struggled to transition and and uh, we come across a lot of veterans in our Dog community. Um, who mm-hmm. eventually find business ownership through us um, that have done the same thing you've done, ping-ponging back and forth, job to job, trying to, to you know, forge their way and make a difference or feel like they're part of that team again. And, and you know, even being in combat, <laughs> you know, d- doing that sort of thing and then coming into civilian life, it, you know, and in, in a corporate America job, it, it can be very disheartening. Um, would yeah. you have any advice on on how they should go about things?
1: So yeah, and you know, I would. There's a couple of things that there's always, that, you know, there's there's always this thing about advice and opinions. Everybody has one, right? Sure, um, right. <laughs> I won't say the rest of that statement, but yeah, the one thing I think is true for most is. Um, don't do it alone. If right. anything out there, if I could tell anybody just one thing to listen to, don't do it alone. Surround yourself with even one good friend, compatriot, mentor, somebody who can, you know, listen to you, guide you. Um, you know, you can bounce ideas off of, hey, I think this is what I'm going to do. I think, and you just never know um, what what is going to come your way. But if you have some people around you, trust and you know, have your back, that right. makes all the difference. Yeah. So while I could say to somebody, find your, you know, get into a good intern program, get a degree, you know, get into an apprenticeship program, you know, um, those are all good ideas. But the one thing that sure. is consistent is find a friend, find somebody who's got your back. It might be your spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be. It could right. be, you know, even a child, depending on, you know, ages and whatever but it definitely something that will make the biggest difference is knowing you're not alone. Yeah. For a lot of service members, I was that person for them. They didn't like you know have anybody else. Right. They they were sure. single, they were in their 20s or whatever and they'd done their service and worked their way through but they didn't really have somebody they could, you know, bounce ideas off of and that's my job in that Marine for life role right. to help them with that, be that person for them. Yeah. So, I would do that with you know, as it would be an honor, uh, frankly, where somebody says, well, then you're my guy. Well, great. You know, then I'm, then I'm it. So let's do it. Right. You, you trade text numbers, you start, you know, pinging each other things and, you know, after a while a friendship ensues and friendships amongst veterans tend to go pretty quickly. So, you know, you tend to move pretty quickly through those friendship sort of gates, if you will. And um, so I definitely say doing, getting a friend, not being alone is definitely the biggest key because, no matter what happens, and it's always going to be rough in some way, shape, or form. Sure. At least you're not alone. At least you've got somebody there to work with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, definitely. Um, before you go, can how can people find and connect with you, and where can they find out more information about Layer Eight Security?
1: Yeah, great. So, t- so two answers to that, then. Um, yeah. One, you know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, certainly. It's the only social media platform I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm really responsive and I have a good network of people and I'm always willing to share. So, you know, Kevin Hyde on LinkedIn is a good way to get a hold of me. Um, Kevin.hyde at layer8security.com is my email address. So people are welcome to ping me there. And then the other piece I would say uh, about Layer 8, um, our website is layer8security.com. So... Layer, the number eight, security.com. Um, you know, we're headquartered in Philadelphia, but we're a national company. Um, we have employees and clients scattered all over. Um, you know, we're not even necessarily a, a virtual office, but we have a lot of client, a lot of clients and people that are remote. So we are all over the place geographically I'm travel quite a bit. And so You know, I find myself in a lot of different cities that are actually very veteran friendly just because we tend to have our networks there. So we tend to be where those locations are. Yeah. And then for layer eight, you know, we're a cybersecurity company. So we perform the actual cybersecurity services that companies need done. Um, we, We don't sell software. We're not a reseller. Um, kind of like I just said, we're, you know, you need a a best friend, a partner to take you through that transition process. We do that for our clients in the cybersecurity world. We help them put a cybersecurity program in place, write the policies, train their people, get the right software, get the right defenses in place so that they can defend themselves from a cyber attack. And so they can comply with HIPAA and SEC and European privacy and state and U.S. privacy laws. And, You know, they need to be compliant with all these things in order to be in business. So we help them do that. We are their partner. And so we have a a company of not quite 40 full-time employees. Oh, wow. And uh, we employ, you know, uh, we're not veteran only, um, but we are, we have a lot of veterans here, you know, probably 25% of the company or so is veteran. Oh, wow. Multi-service, you know. um, But, you know, we, we we are good friends and good partners for our clients and our partners around us. So there's a lot of, companies that might be in the IT world or you might be a lawyer or an and you need a good cybersecurity firm to bring in. We're not a reseller of anything. So our partners like to use us because we don't come with an agenda. We're here right. just to well, what do you need done? You know, and right. we can just give out what we need to do. We don't have to resell anything, you know, software, hardware, none of that. You no know, cloud right. services. We just are there to help facilitate and and be good parents for our partners and our clients, basically.
0: Right. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, I love your tactical treasure. Tell your wife, I think she's amazing. And yeah, I, and, uh, so it's great talking to you and, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, what was nice about being on here is it made me reconnect with some of the things that I haven't thought about in a while. Oh, that's um, neat. And so that was, a, it's a treat as well. So, you know, I can't wait to uh, share this with my wife. I'm sure she'll, I'm sure she'll correct my story in some way, but I, uh, you know, um, uh, thanks for, for the opportunity to share with you and, and your audience.
0: Oh, that was great. It was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Take care now. Good. Bye. Thanks so much.
0: Hello, viewers and listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Tactical Treasures Podcast. We've just finished up an amazing conversation with Kevin Hyde, who is a Marine Corps veteran with 21 years of service to the Marine Corps in the intelligence community and U.S. Cyber Command. He is also the president and co-founder of Layer Eight Security, which is a cybersecurity advisory, consulting, and technical services firm that arms businesses with practical compliance risk management and security program strategies. Layer 8 Security staff has received extensive experience and training from operations serving in the National Security Agency, US Cyber Command, DOD, special operations, defense and private industries. They have served at home and abroad and many of them still serve our country today in the military reserve. Layer 8 Security also established the Layer 8 Security Scholarship in information science, an annually funded scholarship that provides $2,500 a year for five years with preference given to United States military students, including veterans, active duty, reservist, and national guard. To find out more, go to layer eight. And that's the number eight security.com to see all the services they offer and to learn more about the scholarship program. Again, thanks for joining us on this episode of Tactical Treasures. And don't forget, you can find our podcast on all your favorite streaming podcast platforms as well as Vet TV. And we are now airing on Reese Across America Radio on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And if you missed that episode, catch the encore on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can also find Reese Across America Radio on the iHeartRadio app, the Odyssey app, and the TuneIn app. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again on another podcast. Bye-bye now.